with the set-aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live in your truth. Heavenly Father, have grace and mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to glorify you today by carrying your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're... Uh, when there's the solution, we're going to finish the chapter and probably um, cover one, one or two pages of the next chapter today. And, and there's a solution up to this point. They've told us that we're all shipwrecked when we come in here and we're dying of alcoholism. And then we get to shore and we're all happy and we're dancing and singing Kumbaya and hugging each other. But that won't hold us together. That won't keep us from getting shipwrecked again. The thing that does it is the common solution, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which you must work to get the result. Then it talks about how we have lost power once we drink of controlling how much we drink. If you're a real alcoholic, if you put alcohol in your body, you cannot control how much you drink. You have an allergy to alcohol. It's called the phenomenon of craving. And it means once you put alcohol in your body, you'll crave a second drink. So the alcoholic, it's suggested, should not take the first drink. Anybody agree that's a good idea? All right. So, but there's a problem with that because it says the disease centers in our mind rather than the body. And our mind will tell us that we need a drink even though we've said we don't want to. Even after we've sworn off, after we've made a resolution, even after we've had uh, something happen and we make a decision we're not going to drink anymore. If you're a real alcoholic, you can't follow through on that. Because willpower won't work. Because willpower won't work because right before you drink, you'll only think about what it's going to do for you, not to you. Now, why do you drink alcohol? You drink it because sober, you can't live in the world sober and not want the ease and comfort of alcohol at some point. Now, why is that? Because we have a spiritual illness and we're separated from God. And when we live separated from God, we live in fear, we live in anger, we live in judgment, we make bad decisions, we have shame and guilt. And our mind says, I know what'll fix that or I know what'll fix him, or I know what'll fix her, I drink. And once our mind seeks the ease and comfort of alcohol, nothing can stop us. So we may think in the morning that we're not gonna drink today, and we decide we're not gonna drink, but by four o'clock, our minds told us that that's a good idea. Now, there's no defense against that. That's what it says on page 24. At certain times, the alcohol has no defense against the first drink. Cannot recall the humiliation and defeat from drinking. And it says, we have no defense against the first drink. Now, they're being too nice. What they're saying is, you're screwed. You can never have defense against the drink forever. And then they describe in the next few paragraphs how people drink and they just don't know how it happened. And then on page 25, it says there's a solution. And we looked at that. And what is the solution? It's an entire change of our personality. 
from self to God. And so that we have a, our attitudes and outlook on life is completely changed. And the central fact of our life is that God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. On page 25. And it says, the absolute certainty that my Creator has entered to my heart and lives, which is indeed miraculous. And God has commenced to accomplish those things for us which I could not do by myself. I don't have to drink anymore. God will say, bad idea, Michael, if I stay in relationship with him. Now, the rest of the book from 25 to 88 is how do you do that? How do you get in a relationship with God so that your creator will say, bad idea? And then they will give us a warning. There are a lot of warnings in this book. If you're seriously alcoholic as they were, there's no middle-of-the-road solution. There's no, the, only, the, the only two choices are to, are the, uh, because if you're in a position where life has become impossible, then you've passed into a region where you cannot return from human aid. Human aid won't help you. Group won't help you. Meetings will help you get to do the action that will help you. But the only thing that will help you is God. So you have two alternatives, really, if you're a real alcoholic. Go on to the bitter end, blotting out how bad your situation is, and the other is to accept spiritual help. Now, why do people blot out the consciousness of their intolerable situation? Because they don't want to change. They don't really want to change. They won't give up on themselves. They always have a plan. AA is for people who have a, no plan that will ever work. If you have a plan that works, you don't need to be here. Write a book. But nobody has a plan that will work except the plan outlined in this book that I know of. There's treatment centers galore. I think they're, if you really talk to them, their treatment is to get you out of your environment, give you a chance to get uh, with other people, get support, get into the book, find the sponsor so you can take the action in the book. And then we talked about where we got the solution from. The problem we didn't know about till we learned it from Dr. Silkworth, the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind. The solution we, we got from Carl Jung, a psychiatrist in Switzerland in 1932, when Roland Hazard, a real alcoholic, went to see him. And after therapy, and Roland thought his mind, he understood the inner workings of his mind, relapse was unthinkable. Well, he was drunk within a few days. So he went back to Dr. Young, who prescribed for a year, and I don't know what they were doing for a year, uh, but Dr. Young didn't realize that he had the mind of a chronic alcoholic. He says, if you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic, there's no hope for you because you don't have the power to ever not drink. And then once you drink, you have the allergy of the body. Sounds bad, doesn't it? But it's true. I have that. He says you're going to have to uh, lock yourself up or hire a bodyguard. So um, uh, he's never seen a single case recover where the state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. So, but Roland was a good alcoholic. So he says, is there no exception? So Dr. Young said there is. And the exception is these vital spiritual experiences that have been occurring 
throughout time. They're phenomenon. They can't be explained. And what it is is the alcoholic has a huge emotional displacement. Your emotions are completely displaced. By what? God's emotions. And the ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were the guiding forces of your life, are cast aside. I'm doing a review, Tom. And so you can re read these pages later. But we're on page 27. And so what's, what's, what are the ideas, emotions, attitudes, which are the guiding force of my life? My ideas, my emotions, my attitude guided me. What did it get me? It, it made my life completely unmanageable, and it got me a wristband. And it got me here. And we want those to be cast aside. Remember it says you can't hang on to your old ideas. You have to let go of them absolutely or you're not going to get any result. What's your old ideas? Everything you thought you knew about what you needed or life. I was wrong about everything. And you're going to have a new, completely new set of conceptions and motives that are going to dominate you. Now, how do you get that? You don't get it by talking about it or reading about it. You get it through this, the actions of the, of the steps, because the steps are the process of destruction of your pride, destruction of the ego, destruction of your self-centeredness. So that today, I was having some fear because I was getting bombarded with concerns. And I said to myself when I got in the car, well, that wasn't fun. I'm going to live in the now. I'm going to live in the now. I'm not going to worry about the housing market and real estate, uh, interest rates, and this and that, and all that. I'm really basically only going to worry about the Chiefs tomorrow night and stay in the now. And because the now, there's no problem right now. And so I've learned that. The future doesn't exist, and the past is gone. And so I'm, I'm pretty good right now. And it was nothing bad, but it's the way we do it. So the doctor said, well, he like, the, the Roland says, well, I like to go to church. The doctor says that won't work by itself. There are a lot of people who go to church and are drinking themselves to death. Because the key thing is God can do it, but we have to let him. We have to have knowledge of God and a relationship with God. You can go to church and pray all you want and go out and be self-centered. Nothing's going to change. And they're not saying the church is bad or that God can't do it. If you're a Christian and they were Christians who uh, had the initial steps, they were trying to allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives so they weren't self-centered and they could practice the character of God. So here's a key line. So it's a dilemma that he found himself rolling. Well, I go to church. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this change. And, but what happened to him was he went to New York and he went to Reverend Sam Shoemaker's church and they had the Oxford group and he worked the steps and he was able to not drink. And then in 1934, he rescued Ebby Thatcher from going to a jail in Vermont, New York, and took him to New York. And then he went to Bill W., who was drinking himself to death. 
And then Bill W. worked the steps in 1934, and after six months, he found Bill, Dr. Bob in Akron, Ohio, and he was going to drink that day, but God said, bad idea, and then we're here today. How's that for coincidence? It's never a coincidence when somebody comes to the AA. And nobody comes here uh, because they don't belong here. They may come with all sort of, sorts of crazy ideas. But after a while, they're going to, if, if we are doing a good job, they're going to learn what the problem is. They're going to learn what the solution is. So here it says, we in turn, so he had to escape. So they sought the same escape from what? Page 28. What are we escaping from? From me. I'm trying to escape from me and what I want and me running my life and being in the wrong world. There are two worlds. I didn't know that for a long time. This may be something new. We have a new person today. There's the real world where God's in charge. And then there's the world where I've lived, where I'm in charge. And I'll ask God for help on occasion. And what do I mean by that? When I'm running the show, uh, I'm trying to arrange the scenery, the acts, the ballet, so everything will go the way I want, so I'll be okay. Now, I had this delusion probably when I was four, maybe earlier, who knows, that I could, if I could just manage well, my life would be okay. And I really tried hard. I wasn't a bad person. I just had the wrong manager. And it never worked. And so they're going to seek the same escape with all the desperation of drowning man. So if you're new here, ask yourself, do you feel like you're drowning with your alcoholism? Is your life unmanageable? Do you, are you desperately wanting to change? And people who aren't desperate won't follow through. They, the ego rebuilds quickly. They know alcohol is bad, but then they say it wasn't that bad, or I stopped for a while, I can stop again, and there's all sorts of stuff that our mind tells us it's not true. And so, and, and when you come in, if you're drowning, it says what seemed at first a flimsy read. It could be your first meeting. It could be somebody you meet here. It could be the big book. You could listen to a speaker. And as you start to work the steps with someone and you start growing and seeking God, the flimsy read becomes the powerful and loving hand of God. Now, why is that good? Because then you get a new life. It says a new life has been given me. I have a new life today. And I have a design for living that really works. I could get back in the now. It wasn't bad, but you know, there's anxiety. My wife gets anxious, and she tells me about it. And then, you know, I say, "Wow!" And then, but I realize it's not happening. And if it's not happening, I don't need to bring it into my head. God didn't wake up today and said, "Michael, I want you to worry about something." No, God says, "Trust me." Live for me today. Serve me and my children. Practice my character. Be loving, patient, kind, tolerant, considerate, compassionate. So then we're going to pick up, it says, the distinguished American psychologist William James, in his book, Varieties of Religious Experience, I kind of looked at it. I said, I don't know if I can read that without drinking. I'm being silly. But it's in a very intense scholarly book. But 
Bill W. read it and other early members. It's a very good book if you're that way. I don't, I don't do well with that. I was a math person. I don't do really, but it's a great book because he indicates there's multiples of ways in which men have discovered God. But I wrote, but there's only one God. There may be, there may be different ways, but I believe there's only one God. And then, uh, and it's discovered God. We have no desire to convince anyone that there is only one way by which faith can be acquired. I, I wrote that uh, I want to convince you that, there's, that there is one way by which faith cannot be required. My way. My way never works. So I need to know somebody else's way that works. And this works, so I like this way. If you find another way, fine. If what we have learned and felt and seen means anything at all, it means all of us, whatever our race, creed, or color, are the children of a living God, with whom we may form a relationship upon simple and understandable terms as, terms as soon as we are willing and honest enough to try. So the only terms for me having this relationship with my Creator, which will give me a design for living that works, is to be willing and honest to try. And I have to be honest about the truth about me. Am I a real alcoholic? Am I powerless? Is my life unmanageable? Am I in a hopeless condition of mind and body? Well, if I am, I better try a different way. And then I have to have, it says, um, willingness. How much willingness do you need? A lot. What makes you willing? Pain. Suffering. Anybody have pain and suffering when they come in here? I had a lot of it. I didn't realize it when I came in, but I was the cause of all of it. I had a list. I had a list of a few people that really ruined my life, but it was me. When I looked, when I did my fourth step, I realized I was the one who made all those decisions. SOB, you know, it was me. It wasn't them. They were just who they were. And so, it can't be my way anymore, and I have to be willing. And I have to be willing today. I didn't want to be disturbed. So I said, God, put me back in the now. Like that, I'm in the now. I'm going to have a good day. I'm going to see my granddaughter and uh, watch football. It says, those having religious affiliations will find here nothing disturbing to their beliefs or ceremonies. There's no friction among us over such matters. We need to remember that. And we need to remember that we shouldn't have friction among us over any matters. But it's AA. And AA, uh, we have a lot of rules. And there are rules in the district and at some meetings. We have no rules here, uh, I hope. We don't have any except that whatever I say goes. Uh, that was a joke, but it's probably true. All right, stop, Mark. There's no friction among us over such matters. We need to remember that. And it says, we think it no concern of ours what religious body our members identify themselves with as individuals. There's nothing wrong saying you're a Christian or you believe in Jesus Christ. I've heard people say, oh, you can't do that in a meeting. That's not true. You can talk about your beliefs as long as I don't tell somebody what they need to believe. And if somebody hears my beliefs, maybe it will help them in some way. There's nothing wrong with uh, identifying yourself 
with a religion as long as you don't ask, tell other people that they must do that. We don't want to have any rules here. That should be an entirely personal affair, affair which each one decides for himself in the light of past associations or his present choice. And I believe it's true that there are people in certain religions that argue with each other that you're not doing it right. Have you ever heard of that? How many different churches do we have in Topeka? And you're not doing it right, and you're not good enough, and blah, 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 and all this nonsense. Why? Because we're human beings. So we want to stay out of self and out of telling people what they should do. Because I don't know what anybody should do. I don't even know what I should do. I want to do what God wants me to do, not what I want to do. It says in the following chapter, this is the next chapter, there appears an explanation of alcoholism as we understand it. Then a chapter addressed to the agnostic. So they're going to, they you're not ready to do the steps yet when you get to page 29. They want you to have more information to make you completely willing and to understand your brokenness, because the next chapter is all about that we have this queer mental twist that we cannot get rid of, that will tell us at a certain time you need a drink. And they're gonna give us examples of the jaywalker, of Fred and Jim, and the man of 30. And they're gonna tell us once an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. You don't become a non-alcoholic at some point. And then you're always going to have that queer mental twist, and it ends on page 43 with your defense must come from God. And then the chapter to the agnostic is, uh, and a lot of people don't want to hear about God, but, and they're not talking about belief in God. They're talking about people who have no knowledge of God, gnosis, knowledge. And what they're saying is you can believe in God, but you've never used him. You've run your whole life, and so you don't, you don't really have trust or faith in God because you've never allowed him to work. And the steps are designed to give me trust and faith in God and not myself. And that when I'm in my world, God has no power. So I want to get in his world where I serve him, and he has all power and I have none. The only power I have is to follow his will. So give me knowledge of your will for for me and the power to carry that out. That's step 11. So that's all I ask every day. Give me, tell me what to do and give me the power to do it. And when I'm not doing it, I'll know that because I won't feel good. And then I'll say, okay, God, I want to get back. What do I need to do? Give me the power to do it. And then an hour later, I won't feel good. And then I'll say, God, tell me what to do. You get it? It's not that. And we go back and forth all day long. But most of the time, we try to stay undisturbed as best we can, but agnostic. It's one of the most brilliant chapters ever written about spirituality, I believe, ever, and we're going to cover it in a few weeks. It says, um, it says, convictions are no great obstacle to, our sp to a spiritual experience unless they're old ideas that separate me from God. So you can have religious convictions, but you have to make sure they're not old ideas that are wrong. Now, I used to tell people I'd work with that everything they thought was wrong, and that would piss them off. And, but it's, I, I learned for myself that everything I thought that I needed to be happy was wrong. All my, all my judgments were wrong. All my fears were wrong. 
And I made bad decisions based on what I thought was right, and they were wrong decisions. And so I still have trouble remembering what I did and saying, why did I do that? Why did I do that? And you know, I thought about we should not regret the past nor shut the door on it. But I do regret things that I did in the past. But I don't regret them in terms that it got me where I was today. But I wish it didn't take so much. Does that make sense? I wish I didn't have to have so many regrets to get to where I was today. I wish I hadn't done those things. So it says, and then further on are clear-cut directions. Now, let's, what, what, could, what could possibly be a clear-cut direction? What can it not be? These are clear-cut directions on what? Showing how they recovered. So if you want to recover from a hopeless condition of mind and body, they're going to give you clear-cut directions on how they did it. Now, if you haven't been doing everything from page 30 to 88, you're not going to be following their clear-cut directions. And they were able to recover. So if I do my directions, I don't know if I can recover. I do know that I, I can't because I've tried it. And I don't want to do it anymore. So if you want to recover from alcoholism, you may have a plan. They're not saying that, that you don't have a plan that'll work. But if you don't, follow the clear-cut directions and tell us what happens. And basically what they're telling you is do this and tell us if your life has changed. Tell us if you have a relationship with God that works. Tell us if you're less disturbed, less fear, less judgment, less bad decisions, less shame and guilt. Then they have 42 personal experiences. And each person, and in the original one, I think it was 13. They may have changed this. I'll have to look at the original book again. Each individual in the personal story describes his own language from his own point of view the way he established his relationship with God. That's the point of the stories, is how do you establish that relationship with God? If I'm meeting with somebody new, I have to tell them how I established my relationship with God. Because when I came in, I didn't have a relationship with God. And I could tell somebody today if they wanted, and I could go through how I work these steps and how I do them today, and how I maintain and establish that relationship with God. Now, here's the warning label. You can be sober, you can be Mr. AA, Mr. Perfect, I can lead these meetings and know the big book, but if I'm not continuing to seek God and to follow the directions to establish my relationship with God, I'm gonna move away. And then the relationships get weaker. And then one day I say, gee, she's never gonna stop talking. I'm gonna get a bottle of Kahlua. And on the way, I won't see anything wrong with it. And that's dangerous. So that's a fear that I want to maintain. I don't want to get too far away from God back into self. You cannot, why do we come here and say I'm an alcoholic? So I'll remember. Why I want to remember that moment of complete defeat oh, many years ago when I was done. And I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to live that way again. And then it says, a clear-cut idea of what has actually happened in their lives. Notice, actually happened, not theory. We're not talking. What, what actually happened? Well, I could tell you I was a complete mess. And today I prayed. I listened to scripture. I tried to be kind and loving. I 
tried to stay out of fear, and I'm seeking God, and now I'm here now with you. And then I hope the rest of the day will, will go well. The only person who can ruin my day today is me. If I get away from God and I want to live in my world. And then now, today, at least at this moment, I don't want to live in that world very long. But that could change. So at 1 o'clock, I may want to live in that world for 20 minutes. Well, how's that working for you, Michael? You're a mess. Get back into my world. And so if you have a relationship with God, God will say to you, the Holy Spirit will say, Michael, please, would you stop? Come back to me. I don't think I'm getting to the first page of the next chapter. Everybody here knew that wasn't going to happen. We, we hope no one will consider these self-revealing, it's self-relieving, revealing counts in bad taste. Now, here was their hope. We have a vision for you. We just finished that. Here is their vision, is that many alcoholic men and women desperately in need, notice those words, will see these pages and we will believe that it is only by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that they will be persuaded to say, yes, I am one of them too. I must have this thing and I wrote or else. So this is for people desperately in need. And, when, and how do I fully disclose to myself my problems? In step four, I see, I see the truth about my thinking. And then I see my character defects. And in six and seven, I don't want to practice them anymore. In eight and nine, I want to make amends to those people I harmed. And so we want to be able to tell them so somebody will say to me, yes, I am one of you too. I must have this thing. Not, not I think this is a good idea. Or maybe I'll come back on Wednesday. No. It says, I must have this thing. This is for desperate people, and I wrote, or else. And really what we should be doing at meetings is sharing our clear-cut directions, sharing, uh, disclosing ourselves and our problems, and, and how we established our relationship with God. Because that's what the book does. And so have you established this? And, and, and what activities have you done? And then ask yourself, are you still in desperately in need? I want to stay desperately in need. I don't want to ever not be desperately in need. When will I have the power of choice to drink? Never. I'll never be able to wake up and say, I'm not going to drink today and be sure of that. The only choice I have is to seek God who gives me the power of choice. And I have to remember that. If I start boasting about how well I've done, I'm screwed. I was listening to Romans, and it's about uh, uh, faith, and faith produces our, our uh, relationship with Christ that gives us righteousness before his Father. Some of you may not care about that. That's fine. So Paul says... We cannot boast. And why can't I boast? Why do I ask people when they celebrate, how did you let God do it? Or how is God doing it? Because you can't boast about your faith because your faith isn't in me. It's in something else. So my faith today is in God. My faith in me, I don't have any faith in me. I screw up. Do you see the power of that? My boasting has to be in faith in something that's not me. 
it's God, and I believe God can work in my life and do what, and trust that he will do what he says. And that's what's my old idea. I can't trust that I can do what I think I need. It won't work. And so that's why we go from agnostic to trust and faith. And it says when we talk about fear, we have, live on a different basis. That we lived on relying on me, I have fear. Anybody ever have fear? Why? Because I'm in me and I won't get what I want. It's not going to happen, blah, blah, blah. It says we have to live on a ba different basis, trusting and relying upon God. It's not complicated. Now, how do you do that? It's a process and you have to continue to do it every day. So I'll end with that. Thank you.